I can just be honest. Um, I remember I was preparing for the sermon and I just typed in genealogy. And the first thing I came up was how to get through the boring parts of the Bible. And I was like, oh, all right. Right? Um, If you guys watch Netflix or if you watch anime, I know Muchi said we don't watch anime anymore. But if you still watch anime, you may know what a filler episode is. And a filler episode is essentially those episodes that they put in between different stories and arcs to kind of, you know, get you through the time, right? They don't really have any relevance to the story. They're kind of just fluff, right? Um, We tend to view passages like the genealogy like that, right? They're cool, but it's just, it doesn't have a whole lot of relevance. There's no point of working through it. Now, I think the reason why we tend to look at passages like this has to do more with our approach to the scriptures, Right? We tend to approach the scriptures as, what can I learn from this rather than what is this telling me about God's character? So today what I want to urge you with is that we don't check out, if you've heard this before, if you've read this before, if someone has read the genealogies to you before, that you don't check out, but rather you ask yourself, what is God teaching me about himself through this passage? Amen? So I want to read it again, or I want to read it. I know we didn't read it. It's very long, but I think it's important that we wrestle through this. So Luke 3, verse 23 through 38, it reads like this. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as it was supposed, of Joseph and the son of Heli, the son of Matat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Matthias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Elsie, the son of Nagai, the son of Math, the son of Matthias, the son of Simeon, the son of Jeshok, the son of Jodah, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shelitiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosong, the son of Eldam, the son of Er, the son of Joshua, the son of Elizir, the son of Jorim, the son of Matat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, another Joseph, the son of Jonim, the son of Elikim, the son of Melia, the son of Mena, the son of Mataha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashon, the son of Amindab, the son of Admin, the son of Arani, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Uber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Aphrodax, the son of Shelem, the son of Noah, the son of Lemek, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalilil, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. It's a mouthful. That's a mouthful. So, <laughs> I need more water. Um, <laughs> so, the genealogy is super, super fascinating. Um, I think it's fascinating because it highlights this aspect of Jesus that we sometimes forget. 
his, this aspect of his humanity, right? Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. Last week, Pastor Mucci, fire sermon, he talked about how Jesus doesn't just show us how to be a better Christian, but he shows us how to be a better human, right? His life wasn't just teachings of good ideology, but rather it was a pathway to what it looks like to live a flourishing human life, right? And that's very true. We see that all throughout Luke. That's kind of his focal point. Um, being that Christ was also human, that means his life was characterized by a certain type of implications. One of those being that he had a family tree, as we just read. Now, this family tree is cool because it gives us a little bit of Jesus' background, right? We know that Jesus is Jewish. He ethnically was, you know, he looked a certain type of way. He wasn't blonde hair or blue-eyed. He probably looked more like Tom, like he was a Middle Eastern, shout out Tom, he was a Middle Eastern looking man. Now, not only that, um, that this genealogy gives us a little bit of background of, of Jesus, but it shows the faithfulness and God in fulfilling his promises. Now, all throughout the Old Testament, God promises Abraham these, these things that I will make you a great nation and through you will come many blessings. Now, as we stand here, we know that that blessing ultimately was that Jesus would come through the lineage of Abraham, right? If we read Matthew, who also has a genealogy, his genealogy is fixated on showing how Jesus is the fulfilling of this Mosaic law and that Jesus is the Messiah or the king that the Israelites were waiting for. He does this in the beginning of his book by tracing back his genealogy to David, Abraham, and Moses. Now, he doesn't just trace his genealogy back to these individuals, but he shows that these individuals were actually a foreshadow of Jesus. Or, excuse me, these individuals, yeah, they were a foreshadow of Jesus' coming. You look at the life of David, David the king, this great king, he was a foreshadow of King Jesus who was to come to rule over his people. We look at Moses, the liberator of his people. Um, He brought this covenant to his people. It all foreshadowed Jesus coming to bring us a new covenant and liberating us from sin. You have Abraham who... Through one man, many blessings flowed, and obviously Jesus being this man who we receive many blessings. Jesus traced his, Jesus isn't just traced back to these Old Testament prophets, but it's shown that Jesus is better than these Old Testament prophets, right? Jesus is the better David, he's the better Abraham, and he's the better Moses. Jesus being the fulfillment of the Old Testament and the coming Messiah is the main focus of Matthew's genealogy. Now, though we're reminded of this in Luke's genealogy, Luke's focus is a little bit different from Matthew. See, Matthew was obviously writing to Jews, so his focus was to attract Jews. The listeners who were Jewish, he wanted to connect with them. But now Luke, he's writing to an audience that's a little bit different. He's writing to Gentiles. So that changes his approach to how he wrote it. Now, the, the genealogy of Luke, it, it attacks or it kind of goes at this promise that God had said way before Abraham, way before Moses, way before David. And of course, the promise or the word that I'm talking about is this word that God had in Genesis 3 when he spoke with the serpent. And I want to read it. It says, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. This is the serpent. 
you will move on your belly and eat, all, and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So here we are after the fall, Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit, sin enters the world. God has this interaction with the serpent. And in this interaction, he curses the serpent and he says that he will bruise the heel of the offspring of the woman, but the same offspring will bruise his head, the serpent. Now, when God says offspring, he's not necessarily talking about Cain or Abel, um, but rather he's talking about the offspring that will come from a woman, right? The offspring that will descend from the line of, David, uh, the, from the line of Adam being Jesus, who came from the line of Adam. Um, this offspring will get his, head, his heel bruised, meaning Jesus will come and face affliction, but in the end will bruise the head of the serpent, striking the final blow and defeating sin. This verse is a direct foreshadow of Christ coming to defeat the evil and the sting of sin that was caused in the garden. Now, this verse is big because this came way before the nation of Israel, right? This was, God had this in his head before there was any nations on the earth, before there was any type of ethnicities that were formed. God immediately, after, this, after Adam and Eve ate the fruit, he said, you know what, I have this redemptive plan that I'm going to have for all people. And that's huge. That shapes the way we view this Luke genealogy. Now, Luke's genealogy is important because it brings us back to the beginning, God's plan from the beginning. Right? And the first thing I want to examine as we look through Luke's genealogy is that Jesus' coming was not just for the Jews, but he came to bring salvation for all mankind. Jesus came to make a people from all people. You read throughout Matthew's gospel, and Jesus is coming, and, and he writes about what Jesus' coming meant to the Jews, right? And his focus, like I said, was strictly on the Jews. But Luke's genealogy shows what Jesus' coming meant specifically to the Gentiles. Luke kind of writes his gospel in a way that contextualizes what he, the truth in a way that will grasp or hook on to the Gentiles. I saw this commercial the other day. Um, it was a Cash App commercial. It was a cool commercial. And it had Kendrick Lamar in the middle. And to the right of him was one of his homies. And to the left of him was this man who I presumed was like a financial advisor. So in the commercial, the guy to the right of him, one of his homies, I'm assuming from his neighborhood, he starts talking. And he's like, yo, man, the other day, bro, I had lost a couple things off top, man. And I had a, you know, I was slinging with the da-da-da. And he's talking in slang, right? For those of you who don't know, I have a master's in Ebonics, so I understood, right? So he's talking, and Kendrick's like, yeah, yeah. And then he, re- he turns to the dude, the, the Caucasian male, who was a financial advisor, and he says, what my friend here is saying is that he took some risks financially and now he lost his money and he was looking to open up a, uh, a barbershop. So the dude to the left of Kendrick turns to him and says, well, I think what your friend needs to understand is that, you know, it's not about uh, just spreading your money thin. You need to learn how to, you know, bet on yourself and do all this thing. And then the commercial ends and it says, you know, invest in yourself. It's a dope commercial. The reason why I bring up that commercial is because what Kendrick did was he took this information and he contextualized it. He put it in a way that this person, being his homie, who's from a certain type of context, who live a certain type of life, would understand. The truth stayed the same, but the way that he delivered the truth was different. 
That's pretty much what Luke is doing here. He's saying, I understand I'm talking to Gentiles, so I'm not going to get into David or Abraham or, you know, these people that you probably don't really care about. I'm going to bring you back to somebody who we all have in common as Gentiles. The Gentiles didn't have this connection with these prophets, but they had a connection with a certain individual in Luke's genealogy. When, I, when we read Luke's genealogy, there's a number of differences when we compare it to Matthew's, right? One of the first ones we see is that in verse 31, it says that Nathan was the son of David. But in Matthew's genealogy, it says that David was the father of Solomon. Well, which one is it? Is it that Nathan was the son of David or is that Solomon was the son of David? Well, if we read our Bibles, we know that they were both sons of David. But what Luke is trying to do here, and he's, he's not trying to focus on who was next in line in the Davidic throne. He was trying to bring it back to Adam, which is why he didn't mention Solomon. He mentioned the different son. Another difference we find in the book is how the two books start off their genealogy. In Matthew, he starts with Abraham and ends with Joseph. So he starts at the top and, and lines it all the way back to Joseph and how Jesus is the fulfilling of the coming Messiah. But in Luke, he does something a little different. In Luke, he starts with Joseph, his earthly father, and he goes back to Adam. Not only does he go back to Adam, after he says Adam, he ends with son of God. Why? Why do that? Luke wanted to show that Jesus is not just a descendant to Adam or similar to Adam, but that he's the better Adam. Right? Jesus is the better Adam. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 15, 45. I want to read it. It says, so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a living spirit, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. Verse 47, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Verse 48, like the man of dust, so are those who are of dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the first man, Adam, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. Paul here, just like Luke, is drawing out this similarity between Adam and Jesus. He goes as far to call him the second Adam, right? But not in a way to degrade Jesus, obviously, but to show the similarity, but how in Jesus' coming, it will be different. Just as Adam came and, cursed, and a curse was given to all men from his action, Jesus will come and a blessing will come from to all men because of his actions. I was talking to my wife last night and I asked her, I was like, hey, have you ever seen, is there any movie that when they make the sequel, the sequel is better? And I was, we were thinking about it and I was like, you know, I don't really know. And so she started listening to some, she said Toy Story. I was like, no, Toy Story one's better. And she says Sister Act. I was like, oh, you watch Sister Act? I didn't know that, okay. All right, you know, I had it on VHS. But sis, I think Sister Act 1 is still pretty good. And then she said Home Alone. I was like, I don't know. Home Alone 1 was pretty iconic, right? And even just recently, I saw Wakanda Forever. I'm not going to ruin it for you. And it was a great movie, even though some people in the room disagree. Um, but <laughs> it was a great movie. But still, it doesn't compare. It, doesn't, it, it's, it pales in comparison to the first one. 
And I was thinking about that in the movie world, it's so hard to find a sequel that matches up or even supersedes the first one. And I'm like, why? Why is that? Well, one of the, the reasons why that is is because we tend to take the first one and make that our reference point or our standard through which we view the second one, right? That's not the case here for Jesus. Jesus is not only this sequel to Adam, but he's the better Adam. He's better than the first Adam, right? According to the scripture, actually, Jesus isn't just this sequel, but he's actually the reference point through which the first Adam was even made. We see that in Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth. Everything, the visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. You see this in John 1, right? In the beginning was the word. Not only is Christ the better Adam, but he is the true focal point of what it means to be human, right? And that was the whole point of Luke trying to draw Jesus back to Adam because he says, hey, listen, Gentile, I know you've been told that this is the path to salvation and you being a Gentile don't matter, but in the beginning, this was, this was the plan of God, not to just free a certain type of people, but to free all people to become his people, right? His coming was not just for a certain group of people, but rather to redeem all people to himself. Just as one man's actions brought a curse to the world, Jesus' actions will do the opposite. Now, this has a couple implications. The first one would be that the pathway to salvation is not reserved to a single ethnic group. The mission of God was always to see that all people come to salvation in Christ. That's 1 Timothy 2.4. The, sep- the second implication that this passage brings, it brings into perspective the narrative of the Israelites. Right? The Israelites being God's chosen people, being called God's chosen people. And as a kid, I used to hear that when I would go to church, and I'm like, man, I... Why, man, they get to be God's chosen people. I want to be like that. That's cool. Why, why, did, why were they listed that? It, Luke kind of brings this into perspective because he shows it was never about the Israelites from the beginning. It was never, the Israelites had nothing inherently in them that made them, that gave them the ability to be God's people. It was all because of God. If God's plan was always to redeem all men to himself, then the call of being God's people does not belong to a one group of people. Rather, it's given to those who are deemed worthy by Christ. And not because of anything they did specifically as it relates to ethnicity or people group. Jesus, being the better Adam, came to save all and reverse the curse that Adam put on all men. The second thing I want to look at before we dive into the grid, is that Luke's genealogy highlights God's promises, God highlights that, that God's promises are followed by intentionality, provision, and grace. When we read the genealogy, you see a whole lot of stories, see a whole lot of individuals. Some of these individuals you probably never heard of. I never heard of them, right? Some of these individuals, they're not mentioned outside of this genealogy. But yet, each person here is named to show that they were all instrumental in the coming of Jesus, that God still decided to use them despite what they had did. You read this genealogy and you see some individuals who, quite frankly, did not some great things. David, Jacob, 
But despite their sin, despite the things that these individuals did, God still chose to deliver his promise through these people. But also, he still chose to name these people amongst God. We, they still got the opportunity to be named amongst God. That's God's grace. God's plan is not dismayed or delayed by our actions. Although God chooses to work through mankind to accomplish his will, he is not bound by, the act, by our actions. Right? And that's not to put us down, the things that we do, but it's really to elevate the faithfulness of God and his goodness. That even though I may sin, he is still faithful. He still keeps his end of the bargain. We see that through the genealogy. The word that he spoke way back in the garden, even so throughout the Old Testament, he chose to do so knowing that these people, knowing what they had done and what they were going to do. We see this in the book of Hosea. God, God still showing this picture of, I'm going to love this person even though they're not going to love me back, even though they're going to continuously do me wrong. Why does he do that? To show a picture of the gospel, to show a picture of how he loves the church. The genealogy is beautiful because it paints a picture of how even though we fall short, God still upholds his end of the deal and chooses to associate himself with us, and this is the gospel. So, a couple things I want to look at that we can think about as we walk through Luke. The first is that, as I said before, the gospel is not reserved for a single ethnic group. Right? I was on um, Instagram the other day, and I saw this popular, he's kind of like an influencer mixed with like a financial advisor. And he was talking on a podcast, and he goes, you know what's the most dangerous thing that's ever happened to the black community? And I was like, oh, what's he about to say? Let me see. He goes, Christianity. And I was like, what do you mean by that? And he keeps going on, and he says, during this time of slavery and all these things, they would use scriptures and the Bible to oppress these individuals. And really, Christianity is the thing that's harming the black community. You know, the, the way they dress, the way they do everything, it all can be traced back to Christianity. And I was like, man, that's not only is it just wrong, but it, it misses what the gospel actually is. Because the gospel isn't centrally focused on one group. It's not, the, Jesus didn't come to, to save the white man or the black man. He came to save all men. So when we look at the gospel, especially when we look at Luke, we see that Jesus' concern wasn't with a specific ethnicity, but he was concerned with all men. We can't navigate life with the idea that the gospel, regardless of it coming first through the Jew, is specifically from one ethnic group. I understand that as humans, we all want dignity, we all desire dignity, but when we do that outside of the truth of God, it's just going to leave us with this hollow truth that doesn't really solve much. It feels good, but it doesn't actually solve much, right? There's a lot of movements out there that they seek to, to dignify certain groups of people, black people, white people, it doesn't matter, but they do so almost in the same way that they were oppressed in. So because I wasn't dignified as a black man, I'm going to go to this group or religion that says only black people matter or only white people matter, only Hispanic people. And it's like that, that doesn't actually solve the problem. But Jesus actually solves the problem because when he came, he didn't come specifically for one person. He came for all people. The gospel is not reserved for one single group. The second thing I want us to leave with or walk away with as we wrestle through Luke, our standing and with God is not based on our actions, but is based on the grace of God. 
we see the life of the Israelites. You read the Old Testament, it's the same story. God calls these people. He tells them, hey, follow me, do this. People say, mm, I'm going to do this. And God goes after his people again and again and again. So we, we hear the Israelites and we think, oh, God's chosen people. But it had nothing to do with what they did. It, was all with, it, all, it all had to do with what God did. God calls us not because of who we are, but because of who he is, gracious and good. You see this in the life of Abraham. If you read the Old Testament, you see that there was a point before Abraham was in the field worshiping other gods. He wasn't even this father Abraham, the guy, man, his sons, the dude with the whole, his own song. He was worshiping other gods. But God, in his graciousness, said, you know what? I'm going to call you, and through you, I'm going to make a great nation. It's never been on what we did, but what God did. The third thing I want to look at is if our citizenship to an ethnic group is greater than our citizenship in heaven, then we may not be following the gospel. I'm going to say it again. If our citizenship to an ethnic group is greater than our citizenship in heaven, then we may not be following the gospel. Now, I understand the importance of celebrating uniqueness, right? And I love it. I look around the room and it's, it's a picture of heaven. But our goal in life isn't to, to solely uplift the people that look like us. Like if I, if I pick this man to help because he looks like me over a man who doesn't look like me, I may have a problem and I may not actually be following the gospel. Because that's not what Jesus did. We see it in his interaction with the Samaritan woman. We see it with his interaction with many people in the gospel. All majority of his interactions were with people that were not supposed to be around Jesus or who were not necessarily in his crew, his ethnicity, his group. He came to show that this is my mission, to, to love and redeem all people. Jesus being a man for all men changes how we interact with the people around us. It causes us to embrace the differences, but also celebrate everyone's uniqueness, right? It's not, a, it's not bad to be different, but we don't, we, we don't want to ostracize people for being different. We want to celebrate that. Just as Christ died as much, Jesus Christ died just as much for the Jew as he did for the Gentile. That's his message. That's what Luke here is trying to, to, under, to get the Gentiles to understand, because for so long, they've heard, oh, I'm a Gentile, I'm, you know, I'm not worthy, I'm not this. But, Jesus, but Luke is saying, yo, listen, beyond being, traced back to, beyond being traced back to Moses or David or Abraham, Jesus traces back all the way to Adam. And he's the second Adam. He's the better Adam. And that changes how you guys should live. Because he didn't just come for the Jew. He came also for the Gentile. He came also for all of us. Because that's his plan, to redeem and to make a people from all people. And as we read Luke, I think we're going to see more of that. My hope is that that affects the way we just interact with the people that we see in our day-to-day, right? I know in the time that we live in right now, everybody wants to be, you know, inclusive and workspaces care about, you know, being representative of different, under, you know, people. I get it. But really at our core... A lot of the times we, we prefer to just do, we prefer to just stick with people that look like us. We prefer to do what's comfortable. And God is actually challenging us and saying, no, 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 that's, that's not actually my mission. Like, I actually want 
a room that looks like this, a room of all people of all tribes worshiping me because that's what heaven looks like. So as we journey through Luke, my, my prayer and my hope is that we can look more, we can look at the gospel more through the lens of how Jesus is trying to paint it for us and how Luke has painted it for us. Let's pray.